courtside the Convocation Center. From the Max Center. Glad to have us inside the Convocation Center today. Welcome inside the Convocation Center. It is the third episode of the greatest podcast of all time. No bias here. It is convo number five. I'm Adam Jackson, and he's Joel Gadet. It's so, it's so great, so great that he forgot how many episodes before he said that. He had to. You check. know that. That's because I'm having so much fun. We're all about transparency. I'm just keeping the folks informed. That's right. We certainly are. And um, appreciate uh, continuing to do this. Joel, thanks for for sticking it out week three with me. You haven't given up on me yet. I I very much appreciate that. Listen, it's Sunday night. I'm single. There's not a lot else going on. (laughs) (laughs) Really selling it for me right now. Well, we've got a we've got a very interesting and unique perspective on this episode. Um, we're getting ready to have Scott Weatherby hop on with us, and Joel, just a unique perspective from one of the athletic directors in the Mid American Conference. Of course, Scott Weatherby took over at Eastern Michigan a few years ago as their AD, and uh, I think one of the great things about Scott is he's so transparent and candid. And I thought he is the perfect person to have on, and I know you agreed, uh, to bring him on and, and help help us navigate through this difficult situation that college athletics and the Mid-American Conference is going through. There was the quote that came out over the last couple of days from the president at Oregon State, who uh, was the former president at LSU, and basically said that he thought the SEC wasn't living in reality, and the quote was that logistically and realistically, it's quite a gamble on their part. It's a series of consequences if they lose, or there are serious consequences if they lose. Um, did this ultimately come down for the MAC to a to almost a liability issue of we don't we don't feel like it is safe and worthwhile to put players, coaches, staff up to the potential risk of the situation that awaits them? Yeah, I think um, certain risks are involved all the time, right? And so we we try to evaluate those. Certainly um, that has something to do with it. I, I would say my, my biggest concern was the unknowns of um, long-term issues, whether it's um, heart issues or respiratory lung issues, you know, and there was even early on some people talking about the brain, you know, and those are things that, you know, it's only six months old, seven months old now, and we haven't learned a whole lot um, of the long-term effects. And I think that was the the biggest uh, piece of it. And then when you really sit down and talk with the student athletes, and walk them through what every week is going to look like and what will happen. You know, you're going to get tested on Wednesday. You're going to keep practicing with everybody. You're going to go to, um, you're going to get on a plane. You're going to fly to army and, Oh, we're going to get your results when you either get there or the next morning. And oh, by the way, you two are, or you three, or you're one, or whatever it is, is positive, and all ten of you are out now. And we got to turn around and fly back because we can't play, or we're playing shorthanded. And then you're out the next week and the following week, and you're would be ready for the game, but you haven't practiced for two whole weeks. So really, you missed three games 
when we were down to what, eight conference game and maybe an added game. So now you just went from 12 games to nine games to six games. You really start laying those out for them. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I, I think, well, if we're going to play, I'll just play four games in redshirt. You know, that's the conversation you're having. So um, it, it's interesting. I, I think the risk is certainly um, you're worried about that. And, and one is too many in a regard with this, you know, it, whether it's somebody's life or the long-term effects. And I think that's where we landed uh, in the Mac. What's the response? I mean, as we talk here, where I think Justin Fields's petition just went over a hundred thousand signatures, the, the idea of the waiver and, and wh- where that, where there's merit to that and, and why it is potentially a non-starter. Um, yeah, that, that, that's again, I, I think, I understand if I was a student athlete, I'd want to play. Right. Uh, that's, uh, that's how I am. Um, and I would probably be okay signing a waiver, but what does it truly waive you from in the long run? Because, you know, a lot of the requests have been, you know, if we're going to go back out there, you know, we need coverage if something were to happen even after our playing days. Right. And that's been part of the discussion too. And that there's a lot involved with um, doing something like that. And so I, I don't know. I, I struggle to actually answer that because um, I get where they want to play. They're willing to kind of waive their rights, but how much do you truly waive um, when something actually does happen? Um, so that that's, that's the part I struggle with that. Sports will eventually come back and hopefully, you know, once everything is taken care of, uh, we'll be able to do them. But with that said, there's still going to be precautions to COVID-19. So, Scott, has there been any discussion yet throughout the conference about what the plan is to make sure that there's necessary testing for all these schools and all these student athletes when we can resume playing sports? Yeah, and I, and I think you know we've had some discussions, and and each institution is is trying to handle it the best they can. And we've actually here um, at Eastern have tried to work with Central and Western um, to talk through you know whether it's getting bulk testing kits or working with a provider that will come and do our tests and get our lab work and get it back in time or. Um, you know, right now we can't use rapid tests, but there's been discussions that the NCA may change that. So we're waiting to see if, if that changes. And um, because right now your your lab work is, you know, you're at the mercy of the lab unless you work out a deal. And so those are things that we've had those discussions, um, you know, and the NCA set those guidelines and they're, they're pretty strict and, and we're going to all abide by them. Um, But what I'm waiting for, and I think the reason, part of the reason we moved to the spring is we think the testing will get better. We will think the testing will get cheaper and um, and be more efficient. So maybe we can do it more often than even the guidelines that are um, set in place. And I did read today where I guess the FDA approved a saliva based test. Yep. Um, And that's huge, huge news. Um, the question is now how quickly can that um, turn around and get in the hands of enough people? And then what is the cost? Supposedly, it's a fraction of what um, these other tests have been. And, and that could be a game changer for us if, 
if we're just going in and, and doing quick swabs of everybody and you could do those, you know, a couple times a week and make everybody feel like you're doing really well in your bubble, uh, that makes a big difference. And then obviously the cost associated with it. What's the concern? You, you use the word bubble. Um, is a lot of this all contingent on what things look like once students start arriving back to campus um, and, and the impacts of what that all turns into? Yeah, I, I certainly we, we are all curious to see um, what what the numbers look like um, with students back on campuses. You know, and I think there was um, a couple articles today. I guess North Carolina's had some breakouts. Um, Oklahoma. Another one. Oklahoma. Yeah, Oklahoma had one. And, and so, you know, you're waiting to kind of see. I think Notre Dame actually had some issues. Um, as well. Yeah. And so, you know, you're, you're looking at those and just because they're, they're kind of the first ones back and, you know, you, as much as you think you can control it, you know, it, it's very contagious right now. And, and so th I think that's part of it. I totally understand, um, you know, we're the SEC and the ACC and just let's make the decision at the last possible moment. Let's get have every every data point in front of us. That, but what I wish is, you know, the commissioners talk a little bit. Some of us ADs talk to others, you know, depending on who your friends are or who your mentors are. I, I think the medical doctors from each of the conferences should have gotten together and had broader discussions um, and heck, get Dr. Foshi <laughs> to be the, you know, mediator, you know, or be the one to help lead that conversation because, I mean, it seems like the Big Ten, Pac-12, Mac, our our doctors are saying, you know, you're not going to be able to. It's not manageable this fall, and yet, evidently, the SEC and the Big Twelve and them uh, say that we can manage it. And you know, I think our states are doing a lot better than their states, so I'm not sure how they're managing it versus what our doctors are telling us. So that, that's the interesting piece of that. Do you wish there was more leadership overall as a, I mean, people have talked about like a college football commissioner. Would, would that make this easier or is it, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I don't necessarily um, agree with that. I mean, I certainly, you know, having a, um, some one or some group that really focuses specifically working with the, the FBS uh, commissioners um I guess it certainly couldn't hurt, um, but they each have their own egos already. Um, it would have been real interesting had we had a commissioner, so to speak, of all of that and and where that would have landed. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't uh, I don't know if that would be that beneficial or not. So Scott, with with no sports here in the and trying to move forward what then is is the plan for these fall sports in terms of uh, are they still going to be able to practice is that still getting worked out within the mid-american conference what does this semester look like for student athletes yeah that's a good question we're, we're working on it now i would say that um you know one thing i try to let people know is and i even tell our student athletes we're very comfortable with our student athletes that were back this summer um, that we have student athletes and students actually reporting to campus. We're very comfortable with our protocols for training and what we're doing right now. The challenge we were starting to look at was 
when do we start getting on buses and vans and airplanes and hotels and then um, tackling other teams or playing soccer and, and, and physically being against, you know, somebody. And those were the concerns that you run into. So on our campus, we were doing a really good job um, and our teams were doing a good job and we were getting ready to get into multiple testing and really starting to um, focus on that. So we feel comfortable that we can train all fall. And so we're setting that up now and trying to figure out what is permissible. You know, to me personally, I think we should have what our typical spring looks like, try to have that in the fall. So allow our football team so many practice dates, similar to what you do in the spring and you declare those dates and volleyball the same way. Um, and they usually get to play some matches um, in the fall or in the spring as some warm up, same with soccer, but we would probably tell them you can't do that part, um, but you at least get the hours in. And again, we'll test and we'll keep them as contained as we can on campus and uh, just go ahead and, and uh, for me, you're treating the spring, uh, the fall like the spring for the fall sports. And then the other sports, swimming and diving, we said we're you know full speed ahead and basketball is full speed ahead. And we're trying to figure out rowing and uh, some of our other sports, you know, golf and tennis. We're going to let them continue to train as, as usual. They're just not going to compete. And uh, that's our plan right now. But we have challenges up here in the state. Um and we don't have weight rooms open and we don't have gyms open. And so that makes it really hard because we're, we're basically outside training right now, uh, which does make it difficult. So we do need the state to open up a little bit more to help us. You mentioned basketball. And obviously the next question is then, OK, we've made a decision on fall sports. What about winter sports? There's been certain conferences like the Pac-12 that had said we're not going to play sports until at least 2021. Still right now being unknown, and I'm sure we'll continue to evaluate as, as we get closer to November and when those seasons are selected to start. What do you think should happen for, for winter sports? Do you think those can happen on time? And um, if so, are they are they normal or are there plans like basketball has been thrown out for non-conference bubbles to happen? What's your take on, on the winter sports outlook? Yeah, I, I am uh... – Obviously, if things remain as is, testing doesn't get better, faster, cheaper, easier to get access to. Um, our numbers continue to stay on the rise or just flat. Um, nothing will change. And if if our numbers go down and uh, testing you know gets better, and we can create environments, uh, basketballs obviously are easier. You don't have as many student athletes to um, contain. And uh, so there are um, some good there, but you are indoors and uh, outdoors actually a little bit easier with, with spreading out and, and being in fresh air. Um, but I, you know, I don't want to make any decisions just like this saliva test that came out um, yesterday or this morning. Um, and that, that's something that, you know, I'm not ready to give up on all of our scientists and doctors that, you know, maybe we'll be a lot further along come November when we're ready to start playing basketball games. And so that that's the part of it is I'm, I'm, I'm going to be kind of wait and see and what other breakthroughs are going to happen. And then, you know, vaccines are coming along. It's just, you know, once, you know, they still got to get through trials and they got to get through other approvals. And then 
and then how widely available will they become and how long will that take? And obviously our kids are not in the category of high risk. We should get the meta, you know, get it to them. Uh, so it'll take a little longer. So we got to figure those things out, but I, I would anticipate uh, right now I, I'm planning on having basketball in November. And if ultimately we got to push it back and do something in January, that's fine. I mean, we can also have discussions and like you said, maybe after Thanksgiving through um, Christmas, you can isolate them a little bit more because it's a smaller number. Kids aren't going to necessarily be on campus, and, and there might be an opportunity to do that as well. Scott, two more real quick things. Um, one, on the basketball front, there's been a lot of talk about conferences trying to – there have been reports of this league's talking about a bubble, that league's talking about a bubble. Does, does that work in, in your estimation in college sports? And, and could it work for like a November, December – type deal at least at the start of the season when campuses are closed for the most parts it looks like right now yeah i think the only way you'd be able to do that is obviously no in class no in-person classes and it'd have to all be online and if you're if you're structured that way you you could possibly do that and then um a big piece of that'll be cost right and right, just yeah, yeah. And, and and then the realities of you know not if you're looking around the country how much um each institution athletic departments are losing if they don't play in the fall football, you know, that's a significant hit going into basketball uh, as well. And so uh, that, that'll be a big, a big piece of it um, in those, but I could see it happen because you're talking about a small group, right? You're talking about 15 uh, men and women for the most part on rosters plus coaches and, and uh, really isolating them as, as much as possible. Yeah, I don't know about the – yeah, I know there was some discussion about leagues leagues creating the whole bubble. I mean, I can't see the MAC creating a bubble where we all go to one place yeah. and, you know, and go four or five, six weeks. That, that, I just don't see that even coming together. But, um, yeah, we'll kind of see. And we'll, we'll talk through all those scenarios over the next month now as we start to prep for – looking for basketball season my last question uh i just wanted to ask you about you know something that's been floated around obviously is just the financial impact scott of the mid-american conference uh not having these fall sports and you know hoping that we can pull them off in the spring but what do you think is going to be the impact by not having these fall sports and as we continue to navigate covid uh what does this conference look like moving forward yeah, it's a, this is our uh, our biggest challenge right now, and and you know each institution is going to have to kind of stare their budgets in the face, and we're we're certainly doing that here. And you know part of it's you know are we going to get any of the guaranteed money from some of those that um, that canceled? You know the Big Ten canceled early, and we had a lot of teams. Um, the SEC canceled late, and and we had a few from there, and um, and so that that's going to be a, you know, and then how much. How much are we going to get? Um, you know, can we get some games in the spring and and help get the games on TV for ESPN that we normally do in the fall? And then do those equate to the same dollars? Maybe is there an opportunity to even do more? And, you know, do we have March action as opposed to, you know, November, you know, and we, we get creative and try to get as many uh, times on television to help offset some of those losses that we're anticipating. We can't get back ticket sales that much. I mean, it's going to be tough. It'll be tough to have fans even in the spring. Um, you know, media rights is another one. So you, we've got a lot of revenue buckets that we're 
we're hurting right now and we just got to get really creative and my goal is to not touch the student athlete experiences the best we can but being at home these last two months and and continue to kind of work from home you're just not spending like you normally do anyways so there is a significant savings in, in that as well so we just got to map that out as we go along and, and again each school is different i mean i can't imagine kent state had five million dollars in guarantees from their three opponents and if they don't see a dime of that that that's going to be just absolutely crushing to a department yeah um scott i know it's an interesting time to say the least so we appreciate you coming on here and uh, and sharing some insights with us and uh I will say the show is called Convo Number Five because of the amount of convocation centers, <laughs> and, uh, and and one of the two hosts—I won't say which one—said uh, that Eastern Michigan's was the best of the previous four convos. So we'll, we can leave it on that note. <laughs> that, that's awesome. I was wondering how you came up with that with that name. <laughs> that, that, that's awesome. The, the smarter host on this uh, show came up with that name, by the way. Yeah, that's great. I, I love it. I love. It. And, and my, mine's for sale, so if we want to put something else on it, <laughs> we can change the name. So, but, hey, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. That was Scott Weatherby. We appreciate having him on, the athletic director for Eastern Michigan. Joel, let's get right into some of the things that he said. First off, I know this was recent news that came out that he knew and you had saw as well. The saliva testing seems like it could be very impactful for the conference and just NCAA as a whole for one being it quicker and easier and two, hopefully it's a cheaper way that we can learn the information of testing who's positive, who's negative as we try and get back to sports. Well, that's what this all boils down to is, you know, as much as it's a health thing, it is also a financial thing, not from the impact that this all has on the schools financially, um, but it does cost a lot of money to test and to test the right way. And I mean, you saw Syracuse had players hold out of practice now, I think three times in the last week and a half because they, they want more, they want more precautions. They want more everything when it comes to COVID. And uh, part of that involves being able to test more. And I don't know the exact numbers of it, but when you're testing, a hundred people three times, if not more a week, uh, that difference is noticeable. And uh, I think that's a breakthrough, not just from a college sports standpoint, but but from an everybody standpoint, as far as how widespread we need testing to be to fully gain control of what we're dealing with. Yeah, because this thing's not going away anytime soon. At least, you know, we don't know for sure, but it doesn't seem like it's just going to disappear here. So I would imagine this type of testing is going to be needed not only for for this spring but in the years to come as we try and eliminate COVID nineteen altogether. Actually, Let's continue on. Actually, as you say that, Adam, I, I did think of one more thing on it too. Uh, Mike O'Brien, I actually have the audio on this. Uh, Mike O'Brien, the AD at Toledo, was on with Brent Balbanot, their broadcaster, on their podcast from Learfield at Toledo. And he actually mentioned something that I thought was interesting from a testing standpoint. Scott said that there might even be like a conglomerate between Eastern, Western, and Central in terms of how they potentially test that you heard. Um, Michael Bryan said something interesting I want you guys to hear as well. Well, there's two entities, Brent. We have our hospital. UTMC has been incredible throughout this process. Obviously, we've been testing, uh, whether it be student athletes in our staff. And, and then the Mid-American Conference uh, put out an RFP 
as far as a um, the testing company, testing group, what have you, that we may involve uh, throughout the league as well. Uh, I don't have a cost figure on that. Or that. So, Adam, the thing that I the thing that struck me there, the letters RFP. So that's request for proposal, and that's from. I mean, that's news to me. But from what Mike said there, uh, apparently that is a a league-wide RFP to find some sort of league-wide testing, um, which would be interesting going forward. I, I think that's probably more headline-worthy than it has probably gotten anywhere at this point. Yeah. Well, and again, you expect that these conferences are going to be working together. So it's good to see that the Mac is maybe potentially moving to something like that. And um, again, we'll just continue to follow the situation as it becomes more and more relevant and hopefully some of these discussions come about. Jackson, what I will tell you is this. People have said during the Spanish flu, 1918, we played sports, we played college football. Why can't we do it now? Uh, Jackson, have you gone back and looked at how the 1918 college football season went? Because I just want people to like extrapolate that to 2020 and let me know how that turns out for you. <laughs> no have you gone back have you yeah. gone back into the, into yeah. the archives tell us about 1918's college football season Joel. yeah well the missouri valley didn't play uh due to the spanish flu and world war one uh there's no standings there was no conference title so at least one league decided they were not going to play football uh but other leagues like the games are just totally whacked like <laughs> The, the Pacific Coast Conference, which was made up of California, Oregon, Washington, and the powerhouse of Washington or, uh, Oregon Agricultural, uh, they all played different numbers of, like, Cal was 7-2, and two, Oregon Agricultural was 2-4. and four. Like, on what world does this work in 2020? Uh, the the Southwest Conference, Texas went undefeated 9-0, and oh, Baylor was 0-4. Uh, Midwestern College Football Independence, Detroit Junior College, somehow competed at the same level, was four and Detroit Juco, baby, yeah. great squad they had. That Notre year. Dame went three one and two. Toledo was one and one. Iowa Teachers College was one and three. Like I, I, I'm trying to figure out how you create some sort of situation where any of this makes sense uh, in a 2020 scenario. Because, and Scott was detailing this, like what happens if we're on our way to Army and we can't play the game because of tests and then these number of guys are out and then we maybe we have to postpone this game and this gets moved around and the schedule gets flipped. And certainly you could do that. But like look at Major League Baseball as a case in point. Before the St. Louis Cardinals played again this weekend, there were, played te- like five games. there were teams in baseball that had played 20 games and the Cardinals had played five. Think about that from a college football standpoint. Like, could you imagine if you, if the league started, if, if the year started on September 26th and we left time, like left bye weeks so that people could fill things in and we get to the end of November and Clemson is seven and oh, Ohio state is one and two, uh, you know, Texas is three and one. Stanford is four and zero, oh, and and Ball State is one and zero, oh, and champions of the Mid American Conference. Like, like on, on like 
1918, it made sense that Butler went 2-1-1. One, one. Syracuse was 5-1. Great Lakes Navy was 7-0-2. Oh, and, and Oklahoma was 6-0. Oh. But in 2020, you draw me a scenario where that makes sense and people will be okay with it. It's perfect, Joel. It fits in with the time, how everybody gets a medal, whether you win or lose. Everyone gets a national championship Georgetown, regardless. The South Atlantic Intercollegiate Athletic Association, VPI, I don't even know what school, what is VPI? The VPI Gobblers football team. They represented Virginia Polytechnic Institute. Okay. Uh, they went 7-0, and 3-0 in conference in a league that also included Davidson, Richmond, Maryland State. Is that still a school? Uh, no, okay, it's, it's 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 Maryland. It's Maryland. It it became Maryland in 1920. It became part of Maryland. Johns Hopkins and I don't think has a football team anymore. I could be wrong on that. They played one game. They tied. Uh, NC State, St. John's of Maryland, William and Mary, VMI, Washington and Lee, Georgetown, all in that same league. VPI won the league as the only three and O team. Georgetown played five games and didn't play a conference game. To say that in 1918 we played through a pandemic, we can do it in 2020. Go look at 1918 and tell me what about that would be okay today. Well, there's no need to do that now. You've just broken it all down for us. I commend you for going back to look at college football in 1918. You're a true a true fan here, but. Yeah, I mean, if we if we played in 2020, it's going to be more of the same. Like, there's going to be uneven amount of games. Now, there should be more structure in terms of at least playing your conference games. But, yeah, some teams may have COVID outbreaks. Others may not. So some teams could finish with three games. Some can, some teams could finish with six games. Like, it's going to be all over the board again if, if the college football season does happen here in the fall and uh, potentially whatever whatever we look like in the spring. The Siwanee Tigers, they played five games. They lost to Vanderbilt by 40. They did beat Tennessee that year. That's fitting. <laughs> this is the best part of you going back. It's just seeing what the names and the nicknames of these schools slash teams were. Yeah. The Rocky Mountain Conference had Colorado Mines as the champion. That's not important, though, Joel. Whatever. They're all champions. We're all champions in 2020. doesn't matter how many games get played. Everybody wins. How about that? Oglethorpe, five and three. The other thing that Scott said, Joel, is right now they're monitoring the situation as best as they can, and they certainly don't know. But he said, we're, we're planning on having basketball. We're planning on having winter sports start as soon as they should be on time. Do you think that we're in a situation where basketball, albeit easier than football, you would think, seeing that the NBA is doing a good job, we saw the TBT have success with no no testing positive there. Do you think that basketball in the Mid-American Conference could still potentially start on time in November? Well, keep in mind, um, TBT did have some testing, uh, not testing issues, um, but like testing positive because they had four teams sent home. Um, so, but th- that shows that once the tournament got started, the bubbling, I mean, well, the tournament- I mean, they, they, one team got, one team got eliminated, I think in the, in the, uh, in the quarterfinals because of testing. Um, but it shows that, it, that like the bubble, they can control it. Like it works. Um, right. and obviously it's worked in the NBA as well, but like Scott said in the end of that conversation, and I, like, I've seen all these tweets from all your national writers that have said there's thoughts of these conferences potentially bubbling. It's a. Will somebody explain to me how we're supposed to bubble college athletics in any way, in any sport? 
Like, somebody explain to me how you're going to bubble college athletics. And you can say, like, well, they're all supposed to, they, they can all take online classes. That's not, like, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> you're in college first. And everybody yells, I've said this before on the podcast, everybody yells that this, uh, like, how come they, they, it's really just pro sports. And then they do something that is like a college and people get angry. (laughs) You can't have it both ways. This is a college sport. They have to be college students. They can't all just take online classes. And like, what if you've got one that's a biology major who needs to take his lab? He can't not do that because he's in a bubble somewhere. Well, you're telling me that these college students don't have labs readily set up in their dorms so that they can perform those <laughs> for Holiday, biology, Joel? The Holiday Inn Express was burnt down when <laughs> Xavier power forward Timothy Jones blew up room 219 with a chemistry experiment. Like I, <laughs> And he got an incomplete on that assignment. <laughs> I, I just... I. I don't like maybe we can have somebody on at some point that can explain to me how this is supposed to work. I don't know how this is supposed to work. The the closest thing that I saw that was thrown around just on social media, I think it was earlier this week, was just the potential to do a college bubble for like a, a basketball tournament, like a non-conference basketball tournament held in they happen in december and november. Like I we played in one last year. It's called the Diamond Head Classic. Like like yeah, so I'm saying that that to me is the that's the best thing that I've seen about something actually being able to work in terms of a bubble, but in the conference play, uh, that's going to be tough to do. But like non-conference, if if these schools are finishing their semesters early, so that classes are done in early November and they've got all of December, or yeah, maybe it gives you six weeks. Yeah, exactly. But you can get in your non-conference games then. I think that plan could actually work. Again, we'll see how this uh, we'll see how this works out all in all, because it's going to be a year unlike any other. That's for darn sure. You know how it's going to work out all in all. No one's going to play sports until then. So we're going to have a lot of time to think about it. That's well, you're certainly Mr. Optimistic over there, aren't you, Joel? I'm just being like, (laughs) here's the thing. I I, and I know you want to talk at some point about and we brought this up with Scott about the idea of a college football commissioner. Um, Yep. The NCAA chief medical officer, his name is Brian Hainline, was on CNN this weekend. His quote, if testing in the U.S. stays the way it is, which, you know, right now it is what it is. And we talked about the spit test, the rapid tests that that, that you're going to have to make some developments there. Um, So if it stays the way it is, there is no way we can go forward with sports. That's the NCAA chief medical officer. So at some point, the Mac was the first. The Big Ten followed, Pac-12 followed, Mountain West followed. At some point, everybody's going to make this determination. And and the former president of LSU thinks his ex-institution is not living in reality. And then we'll all have a lot of time to sit down and figure this one out going forward. That's what's going to wind up happening. You did mention the college football commissioner thing. And I, I thought that was an interesting answer from Scott because uh, I feel like a lot of the college coaches and I, I thought a lot of the athletic directors would be on board with having that unified leader. So you would be getting direction from the top and everybody would know what the plan was moving forward. But Scott doesn't think that a college football commissioner is a good idea. Do you think one's a good idea? 
Yeah, I think so. I think having that uniform decision at the top is advantageous for, for football, especially with how much money is being brought in. I think it's, it's going to be quite the year here. If the ACC, the SEC and the big 12 and the rest of the group of fives that have still said they're going to play, what the heck does it look like? And how the, how in the world do you navigate through everything this year? If we play some in the fall and then some in the spring that doesn't make any sense to me. Like we, we have built this FBS and FCS and we've gone every fall for years now. And now here, because we haven't gotten that direct leadership from the top, we could have two different seasons of college football with teams that typically are competing against each other. So with no one stepping up and leading the way right now, this seems like a good time to kind of address that idea and say, Hey, maybe we do need to have someone at the top, kind of like the, the college football committee, the playoff committee that has come into uniform since what, 2014 or whenever they started off. That's gone on without a hitch. We've had the playoff teams, whether maybe you have some disagreements about who made the playoffs and who didn't. Regardless, it's been a uniform decision of who the top four teams are and who's competing for the national championship every year. So why not go bigger and have a commissioner that oversees all of college football? So we're all on the same page. Okay. Well, not to, not to crush you, uh, never going to happen. Zero chance because it used to exist. Uh, <laughs> college f- football used to be under the auspices of the NCAA. And because of media rights and television rights, etc., the NCAA lost a Supreme Court case, which is basically what decentralized college football back at the beginning of the 1980s. And it left the conferences in charge, particularly when it came to television rights. And that's how we got to where we are. And... Like, they, there was an overseer. There was one voice. And now each conference speaks for itself. And there is zero chance. This is a great example. Like, everybody was saying weeks ago, if the NCAA cancels fall sports championships, because that's what the NCAA runs. It doesn't run the sports. It runs the championships. Uh, that the Power Five could just break away and do their own thing which made no sense then, and it makes no sense now. We have found that out, because if the Power Five were to break away and do its own thing right now, it would be a disaster, because of the Power Five, three are currently playing and two are not. Uh, So, what, is Greg Sankey going to give up that control? Because, I mean, I guess by a three-to-two vote, everybody in the Power Five would be playing right now if they had some sort of overarching commissioner. Or by a six-to-four vote, everybody in the FBS would be playing but which commissioner is going to give up the control they currently have to an overseeing person or body? Or is Kevin Warren going to give up the control that allowed the PAC, the, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to make the decisions they made? So, you, like, the hardest thing about power is giving it up. Uh, and I, I would think he would be very hard-pressed to find particularly in the current climate that you'll find folks getting together to say, yeah, you know what? That's, that's for the better. We had, well, yeah, I still think it would be the right move. I I don't understand the conference by conference decisions. I know that every conference is different and you got to navigate through those and TV deals and all sorts of things go into it. But I still think it would make a ton of sense and be the best for college football. If they did have, whether it was a group 
I still think having that type of leadership is a better idea and a better way to move forward than just having conference by conference selection and potentially, you know, what happens if we do get through football here in the fall and then we have football in the spring what what does football look like moving forward what it what does fall sports look like moving forward uh throughout the ncaa if that's what happens here in 2020 2021 now you and i both think that eventually fall sports are not going to be played here in the fall like i don't know how far that football gets uh within those power conferences and the others that are playing but I just don't see a way that they're going to be able to play and then travel like Scott was talking about and not have positive cases pop up. So ultimately, I think we are all getting to the point where people are going to have to play in the spring or we're not going to play at all. But right now, it certainly looks very chaotic if things were to stay the way that they are. Well, do we do we get a random uh, Joel note today or, or weird news story of the week? Uh, Adam Jackson, a Russian athlete named Vitaly Vivkar, V-I-V-C-H-A-R. Of I'm Ta- sorry, what was that name one more uh, time? Vitaly Vivkar. Vivkar. Vivkar? Vivkar? Vitaly Vivkar. Uh, he's, yeah, sure, that yeah. sounds great. He's from Tomsk, T-O-M-S-K, in Russia. Uh, he's a Russian athlete, so purportedly uh, probably choosing. Um he broke the. I, I, listen, I'm just working with facts. Uh, broke a Guinness of World. I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on now. You get banned from the Olympics. We're just working what we got here. Uh, Russian athlete, not this guy. Not that he's going to sue convo number five. Russian athlete. I love all of these side notes before you get to the story. <laughs> Vitaly Vivshar of Tomsk, Russia. He broke the Guinness Book of World Records for underwater bench press. Why you would think to do this, I do not know. Uh, 110 pounds. Why he did it in pounds, I don't know. He's from Russia. Um, so what is that? 222 kilos, something like that. Uh, bench pressed uh, 110 pounds 76 times before coming up for air bench like there was a bench at the bottom of this pool and he had a bar and he was just down there yeah that's, how, that's how bench press works yeah underwater wow yeah. 76 times yes man while holding, his, while holding his breath the whole time i was about to say the breath support is the biggest thing they tell you when lifting weights like you have to physically breathe in and out as the weights are going up and down and he was just holding his breath the yeah. whole time while he did this yeah greg Mad props greg Whitstock, an american had the uh, previous record of 62 man wow multiple people have attempted this okay i just you know uh you know, 225 is the combine weight. So I'm trying to figure out how they settled on 110. Also, we have national hot dog eating contests. Like, how come this isn't televised? I want to see this. Uh, underwater barbell? Oh, there is video. Ooh, there's video. Oh, well, that's great because this is a podcast, so we can show all of our Yeah, listeners. but I can watch it. He's not strapped down <laughs> to anything. I don't know how he's staying underwater. Okay, so when he presses a, up the he's weight. He's in a lake. He's not even in a pool. Oh, Wow. And the text is in Russian, so I don't know what it's saying. It's in Cyrillic. Wow. Yeah, well, I, don't, I don't know how he's staying down, to be totally honest. Oh, you know what? He, okay, he's strapped around the waist. He's, okay. he's, he is strapped around the waist. So, strapped down, and then he's lifting as many times as he can, yeah. and he did it 76 times. Yeah. Well, 
that's pretty darn good. Uh, let's let's get that on TV. I mean, what else? What else? That's that's got to be safe. You're you're down there by yourself. We should be able to continue to have a. We should be able to do that during these times, right? You would you would think. Well, that is now concluded episode three. Shouts uh, to Vitaly Vivchar. Yes. Shouts uh, to Vivi. Scott Weatherby. Yes. Thanks so much to Scott Weatherby for coming on. Joel for putting up with me for another podcast. And Joel, I can't wait for week four, man. Like, who, who's coming up next? What what develops in the sports and just in general in the world over this next week? Because this has been a crazy few weeks here since we got combo number five started up.